There we go. Now we're recording. Okay. All right. So, um, a read of the cultural waves. So last week, if you recall, we talked about the need to uh, redeem the spaces that have been overtaken by the world. Right? I harped a lot on the, art, the visual arts space, but we pointed out a lot of different spaces. Right, Going back not just to um, great shows and movies like The Chosen that explicitly depicts the life of Christ, but also shows like Lassie, I remember you brought up, a show that, that actually, yeah, it might not be talking much about Jesus in the Bible, but it's in, in, encapsulating values, right? Family values, community values, moral values. Um, and we see, if you pay close attention, we see often within our society that that's kind of deteriorating in a lot of media. So this week, we are going to specifically talk about the great and evil cell phone. Dan was just looking at me. I know. Whenever you look at your cell phone, I see it. <laughs> it's funny, my kids at school, <clears throat> they're supposed to turn their cell phones into, you know, into the cell phone tower, and most of them do. But it'll be funny because somebody might try to not turn theirs in and they'll be sitting at their desk. And, and, you know, from this, if you've never been at the front of a classroom, you see it all, right? You see it all. And so I'm like, Mr. So-and-so, do you have your cell phone? Oh, yeah, I forgot to turn it in. All right, go ahead and turn that in. Um, these things are a distraction. Right? What are they? Let's 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 go let's go around and just what is this thing? A monitor? A tracking device for a tra It literally knows everything you do. Oh yeah. Yeah. What else? What is it? It's an information gatherer, yes. It gives you information that you don't want. Oh, yeah, it's a lot. It's an overload, right? We're going to talk about information overload. Is it a camera where you stop to experience stuff for yourself? Yes, it allows you to uh, vicariously travel the world and... I see more often like the like you know there it's the selfie side like yeah I re that wasn't around forever was it like I don't remember selfies being a big deal <laughs> yeah and, and you you couldn't tell where the camera was ang angling because you could only take pictures on the outside so it'd be like and you get your thumb right and miss your miss your face yeah mirror to do your hair. Is this thing a phone? Uh, is it? It is. Yeah, it's so much more than just a phone. Like back in the day when they first came out with cellular or mobile devices that were just phones. Not anymore. So let's 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 do a, a quick uh, 
what, what do we call it? A, a quick exercise. Um, commercials, right? What are commercials trying to do? Say something. So they a lot of times will have a tag phrase, right? So what's a product that has like a famous tag phrase that you can remember? By men. By men. Okay, what else? Where's the beef? Okay, what else? The wedding. The wedding? I do not know that product. <laughs> I, that one, that's over my head, man. <laughs> For my just do it. That actually just—it was just printed on the screen in halftime. Be all you can be. Do it, Nike. Right, Army. Be all you can be. The few, the proud. If we're gonna go, aim high, Air Force. Ba da ba ba ba. Ba da ba ba ba. I'm loving it, right? Oh, yeah. Is that McDonald's? Yeah. Right, the home of the Whopper. Your way right away at Burger King now. All right, does any commercial say, so let's back up, right? Burger King commercial. Your way right away at Burger King now. Right? <laughs> we know that to be a lie. But are they selling you a burger? What are they selling you? What are they selling you? Listen to their tag phrase. Your way. They're selling you what you want. They're implying that they will give you whatever you want immediately. Isn't that a testament to our society? Your way right away at Burger King. When? Now. now. So if I wake up at 3 a.m. and I want Burger King, I expect them to be open because I want my way right away, immediately. Right? So is there any any business, there probably is, but, but really large businesses that spend millions on commercials selling you just what they got? Or are they trying to sell you something else? They're selling you more than just a, a slab of meat with some pickles and lettuce and onion tomato. Exactly. They're trying to sell you an idea. So, I've heard it once said, that humans experience all things. The best part of waking up. We experience all things within the context of some kind of narrative. Some kind of story. Right? If we, aren't, if we don't care about it, then it is not, it's outside of that narrative. Right? It's just a thing. But when things matter to us, when we desire a thing, that thing becomes more than the thing. It becomes a part of an important narrative. I am dying of thirst. I am thinking of water. Water is no longer just H2O. Water is life. Right? So when we take a look at anything, we got to understand that it is more than just the sum of its parts. It, it is, yeah, it is something so much more, much more important, something deeper. So a cell phone, if you were just to be cold and analytical, it's a screen, it's a processor, it's a computer, right? It's this, that, and the other. Um, if you 
don't truly understand what it is, then you might say, hand it over to your first grader and say, here you go. Here you go. Here's a toy. Right? You, you spend $1,000, right? You spend $1,000 on this item that you maybe don't see as anything other than a device for games. Maybe some people see it as games or a device for keeping track of where their kid is. But to miss the point of what something like this is, is to literally hand a loaded gun to your child. And we're going to take a look at that. Now, I want to preface all of this by saying I am not interested in vilifying this to the extent of saying, all right, now everybody, put your phones in the middle of the floor here, and we're going to set them on fire, right? No, we're not going to do that. Because that's not how we, as we talked about last week, deal with um, something like this, which is a cultural object. Right? We talked about how we externalize culture, and then we objectify, and then we internalize, and that cycle goes and goes and goes. This is an invention. This is, this is a normal part of life, and to pull away from this is not a terrible thing, don't get me wrong, but it is to handicap your ability to exist within the 21st century. Let's be real, right? Um, yes, you can drive a horse and buggy everywhere, but is that going to help you out if you get a good job in Nashville? No, your lifestyle has to be significantly different. So, not evil in and of itself, but potentially incredibly dangerous for people who lack the maturity um, and the self-control to handle it properly. So, let's see if I can do this. There we go. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites. Um, he wrote many, many books. I'm going to see if I can do something really quick. There we go. That's what I need. All right, all right. That was all on my end. So C.S. Lewis, in his um, wonderful book, Screw Tape Letters, anybody read Screw Tape Letters? Yeah, great book, terrifying book. C.S. Lewis finished that book uh, when he's talking about writing it. Um, he said he did not like where his mind had to go in order to conceive of what it would be like to be a demon attempting to pull a man away from God. Um, people were talking about a second book, and he, he did not want to do a second book, and he didn't. Um, but it is a brilliant book. In this book, here's a quote from the book, it is far from um, asinine to speak of the God of technology, okay? In the sense that people believe technology works, that they believe in it, that it makes promises, that they are bereft when denied access to it, that they are delighted when they are in its presence, that for most people it works in mysterious ways, that they condemn people who speak against it, that they stand in awe of it, and that in the born-again mode they will alter their lifestyle, their schedules, their habits, and their relationships to accommodate it. People, that is a religion. That is a god. That is worship. So C.S. Lewis, right, 
he's not alive during the time, right now, during this time of the digital age. He's living in squarely the industrial age. And he's writing about this. So, when we take something like, let me ask you a question. Let let me back up a bit. Um, Before TVs, what was the centerpiece of the house? The radio. Before the radio, what was the centerpiece of the house? (laughs) If you were if you were unfortunate enough not to have a fireplace, right? Um, Or a kitchen table, right? Nowadays, I I like this because I didn't even think about the radio. But you're right. Like these devices that are wonderful in their usefulness in their ability to help us become more informed, they have taken a place within our house that I would argue the ancients maybe held for the shrines to their gods. If you think about it, elevated, center, where everyone gathers, right? We might as well get on our knees and, you know, start bowing down to these things sometimes with the way we behave. Right? And so... We have to ask ourselves this very fundamental question. How do we treat the technology that we uh, are accessing? Have we slid unconsciously into the worship of what C.S. Lewis calls the God of technology? Um, Think about when you wake up in the morning. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Before God was waking you up with the sunshine, now we got the heavy curtains. <laughs> and, and Siri is like, hello, Josh. Today it's 95 degrees. How are you? <laughs> right? The alarm goes off, and then what do you do? You roll over. Those of us who, who actually get out of bed, right, I, I'll tell you, I, I roll over, I get my phone, I know I got like five minutes, so I'll check my email, I'll check the weather, I'll check the news headlines, I'll check, like, I, it's just this quick list of things I do before my feet touch the ground. That's incredible. That's incredible how... This thing has insinuated itself into my life in such a, in such a way that the first thing I do is engage with it. Right? At, at my school, it sometimes is necessary for the administration to contact teachers. Now, I don't like to have this in my pocket because if it does something, I get distracted. Right? I'll, I'll lose my train of thought. And that's happened. I, I'll, I'll have forgotten. It'll be in my pocket, and it'll buzz, and I'll just... So I leave it on my desk. But guess what happens? I miss important information sometimes. <laughs> I need a watch. Does that help? <laughs> really? See, but that's the thing, right? It's gone from this to this. And soon it'll be here. Then it'll be in here. Right? How far will it go? So this idea that C.S. Lewis is presenting about how we are altered, our schedule changes, 
right? How the, this, the, the big question for us is what is the appropriate relationship between me and technology? And the reality is that's an honest question that's been about since, obviously, C.S. Lewis's time. Right? Oh, I got an abacus. Well, man, those abacuses, they're ruining kids. They aren't going to do math in their heads. Right? There was a, there's a, I can't remember who said it, but there's a legend. We'll call it a legend. Maybe true, maybe just a story where um, the Greeks, uh, some of the Greek philosophers and the, uh, the epic poets were pining the wider usage of writing because they were under the habit of committing to memory the Iliad, right? When you were, you know, those plays are meant to be performed, not read. And so whenever you would have uh, Homer walking around, you know, traveling from town to town, he would say the whole thing from memory. When you learned it, you learned it from it was an oral tradition. It was passed on. And then when you start writing down, oh, no, everybody's getting dumb because now they're writing everything. And now, 21st century, I can't get kids to write anything, right? It's funny how that works. So it's not necessarily that this is bad. It's just the question of how do we incorporate it appropriately, maintaining our humanity and our important relationships and our presence being here and now, not being away. How do we maintain that? So this is some, uh, just some data, some inf interesting information. Uh, this was the volume of online information created or consumed. That means people who make stuff and people who watch that stuff, consume that stuff, all together in one big pot between 2010 and 2025, right? And so... There is some prediction going on, and this is scaled in zettabytes. Anybody hear of a zettabyte? Okay, so right now that word is meaningless. You've heard of a terabyte? Okay. You've heard of a gigabyte, right? So let's, let's put this into some perspective here. So a zettabyte is 10 to the power of 21 bytes or 1,000 terabytes. Now, if I'm just speaking Greek to you when it comes to technology, we're going to put it in books. Okay? So, three megabytes, right, per 400 pages of a book. That means that, remember back in the day, the jump drives used to be measured in megabytes. So, you could put a 400-page book on a three-megabyte jump drive. One gigabyte you got 333 400-page books. That's a lot of books. In a terabyte, you have 333,000 books in one terabyte, and that's a 400-page book. And then in a zettabyte, you have 333 million books that are 400 pages each. That's how much information you, you can say. That's how... They won't, and she would never get one. 
she would never get one because the real thing, you just can't beat it, can you? I agree with you. I'm not a Kindle person. Um, <clears throat> so this, this, in, this is telling us that in the year 2022, this is projecting, that there will be 3.23 billion books worth of information created slash consumed this year. That's a lot of information, right? A lot of information. Um, there are not that many books in the entire world. A quick Google search. Google estimates that there are 130 million books in the world. That's a lot of books. Mary Jean may have read almost all of those. <laughs> in your time as a librarian and your, your extensive library. But that's a lot of information. That's a lot of stuff to consume. There's more information on the order of magnitudes um, online. Can you trust everything online? What percentage of that uh, do you think is on the up and up? I've been listening to this, but I don't want to, I don't want to knock you off. You know, go ahead, go ahead. It's terrifying, absolutely terrifying, artificial intelligence. <laughs> and he said that he had to back off what he wrote in the book because the people he talked to in that field said it's going further than what it really is. It'll be science fiction. But he has a conversation with the quantum computer, and they were talking about like the different levels of the internet. Like there's one level, like level one, and level two, and level three, and I don't know, level three is the dark level. And this thing is on like level eight. Mm -hmm. And they don't even. So, <clears throat> to your point, and that actually is really good, you heard about the Google employee that just got, like, fired because he was having a conversation with uh, an experimental artificial intelligence that he, that he believes has feelings. Now, I don't know if it has feelings. You know, that, that's... Yeah. Because it's so, so the way it works, the way this de device works is it actually has access to the Internet, to all of it. All of it. And so when he was talking to it, it's a, it's a, it's a device that is, attempts to create conversation, predictive conversation. So I've heard it. It's not really intelligent so much as it is predictive. And so when you say something, it's going to scan the Internet and have all of that data and then be able to formulate an answer. And so you have situations where AI have started lying. It's, it's really interesting. So it doesn't have to be human-like, but if you tell it, all right, I want you to solve this problem, it's going to attempt to solve the problem, but it's going to solve the problem on the basis of human experience, on the basis of the the zettabytes of information online. And do we, is that a good thing? Right, so to your point, 
AI is a great example of something that uses that information, sometimes oddly and foolishly, sometimes terrifyingly. Right? We're not at the point to where we have Skynet and, if you know, Terminator, you know. <laughs> We're not there yet. Um, but there's something to be said about what, what does that mean? And then we're the ones who are creating this environment. Now, remove the whole AI thing. Take this to an actual sentient being who is at the infancy of their maturity and hand them this and say, here you go. You figure out what it means to be a man. Google that. You figure out what it means to be good. What should I love and worship? Because that's what we're doing here, right? So um, how long does it take for somebody to expire from lack of water? On average, three days, and when I looked it up, it was like three, and then in extraordinary circumstances, if you got the right genetics, the right physiology, the right whatever, ten days, which is impressive. <laughs> and then there's Josh, <laughs> right? So, so three days you expire from uh, dehydration, um, Overhydration, you hear that? What is overhydration? Yes, you, it's, you literally uh, create a situation to where the sodium, one of the electrolytes, is washed out. Your cells no longer have a regulation in, the, in their intake of fluids, and they take in lots of fluids, and they begin to burst. And you, it kills you, right? So... Think about this in terms of information. Can you survive with no information? If I put my son outside on, you know, on the side of the street. No, right? Um, the idea of learning is, a, is to gain information. Now, we're going to talk about how that's a little more complex than just inputting data. But to say that no information is good, that's, that's ridiculous. But to say that all information at once is good is equally ridiculous, right? It would be trying to drink from a fire hose, right? That's, that could be dangerous. Water hose on low, I know it's sustainable. But you put your mouth on a fire hose and crank it, right? That's going to do some damage. And so... When we are talking about the information age, we have to understand that at this point in our history, um, anyone that can, that can operate one of these or an iPad, they have access to all of it. Things that you might want them to see, but I'm going to probably say most things you don't want them to see. Um. Media usage. Uh, so, in 2009, Facebook and Twitter began to adjust how users interacted with one another by adding the like button. 
right? Thumbs up, thumbs down, the share, the retweet. Um, small changes, but they fundamentally tweet our psyche, right? So um, Instagram photos, this is medium usage per internet minute. So every minute on the internet, how, how many of these things went out? Instagram photos, 65,000 in one minute. That's last year. Facebook photos, 240,000 in one minute. Twitter posts, 575,000. YouTube hours, 694,000. Snapchat messages, 2 million in a minute. I bet you guys know people who probably added a substantial portion <laughs> to that number, right? Google searches, 5,700,000. It's so pervasive, the idea of, well, just Google it, right? Everybody says it. Yeah, you don't, yeah, before it was look it up in the yellow pages. Now it's Google it. And I don't even use Google very often. I use a whole different browser. But Google, I still say, I'm going to Google that, right? iMessage, 12 million. It's a lot of iPhones out there. TikTok videos, 167 million in a minute. That's per minute in the year 2021. That's watched per minute as in with Yeah, consumed. That's the entire world. The entire world. So we can't deny that currently the, uh, the phone, in conjunction with social media, dominates. It dominates the, hu the space where human beings are interacting with each other. It's not like a tool. It is like, it is the thing. It's the marketplace where in the ancient times people met and talked. It is the club or the church, right? It is the space where people come together to exchange information more so than they do with their families at the dinner table. And I say that specifically in reference to People who are younger, right? We're looking at we're looking at millennials. So I'm the supposedly the first year of millennials, I think, 82. But it, it goes on up through 95? 96? I'm not Googling it. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Right, and I know it varies depending on what chart you're looking at, but millennial and on, right? We we are the main movers and shakers of the internet, um, and a lot of younger people. Uh, what year were you born, Houston? Oh two, oh four. So you guys were coming into the world at the like I got my first phone in oh three, and it was a flip phone. Uh, I didn't even get text at first. I didn't, like, I think I could take pictures, but you couldn't really tell what they were because of how, you know, pixelated they were. Um, and then a few short years, things explode. So you guys are, you are of the digital age. 
you're native, right? A lot of us are uh, migrants into the digital age. We've moved in. We have, on varying degrees of proficiency, <laughs> utilized technology, right? But we have not existed in a world where that has been the dominant form of human communication and information transactions. So we can, we can actually function without it. Some of us have chosen to dive straight in, but generally speaking, we're comfortable with not it, just it not being around. Like we can, we can function without it. There is a generation of kids who don't know what that is like. Um, so what's being transmitted uh, in these in these zettabytes of data and information? What is it? Um, Jonathan Haidt, Haidt, I don't, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, forgive me. Uh, he wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. He wrote uh, another book, I can't remember what it's called, um, but he, he has discussed extensively on human interactions. He's a, I know he works in sociology, I don't remember what his degree, what his uh, focus is. Um, but he is a very intelligent man. I've read The Coddling of the American Mind, um, and I've heard reference to some of his other thoughts. But he says this, there are just two activities that are significantly correlated with depression and other suicide-related outcomes. One, electronic device use and watching TV. You got that? Now, we got to keep this in mind, and this is very important. Correlation does not always equal is causation, right? But correlation can tell you something very important, that there is something going on here, right? Right? Running blindfolded down the street in Memorial. Getting hit by a car is a correlation. Now, you might get lucky, but are you going to blindfold yourself and run down the street in Memorial? Right? No. No, even if it's like, oh, well, it's not always going to happen. Well, a lot of people who may have tried it found themselves in the hospital or worse. Um, so the thing that we have to ask ourselves is, why is this happening? Right? Some of you have teens. I have, you know, two very young children. Thankfully, not in that stage yet. They're the ones... We're dealing with this. The kids I teach at school, they're dealing with this. On a level that is hard for me to comprehend. Right? Uh, I got, I'm a small guy. Never been big. In fact, I've been smaller than this, believe it or not. And I had the good old-fashioned 90s bully. Right? The kid that's like, hey, I'm going to get you, nerd. Right? You get punched or kicked or thrown in the trash can or stuffed in the locker. I was a small guy, big glasses, not these cool glasses I have today, but the really big ones that look like aviators, but they were clear, so they weren't cool. They were cool in the 70s and 60s, Mom and Dad, but they weren't cool in 92. 
right? So, um, we cannot, we cannot simply treat ideas as innate and innocuous things that pass from one person to the next that have no effect. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm the guy who's, who's going to tell all of my students, ask questions. Never take anything just as face, at face value. If you have a belief, challenge your belief. I've seen more people lose their faith because they have no idea the challenges to their faith. Ergo, they have a weak faith. It is not beneficial for me and you to take our kids, our grandkids, stuff them in a box, hide them away from all of the difficult questions that challenge the existence of God or why it is good to be a Christian. There is no good to lock them away from that because guess what they will find out one day? They're going to hear about it. And if, you, and if it's not coming from you in an honest and open conversation where you can genuinely answer as a believer, but as a person who's humble, it's going to come from what, a professor or a teacher who is ten times smarter than them and knows everything, all of their arguments and is just going to step on their faith. Right? So it is very important to note, you can't hide information from your kids. It's just a matter of when they're going to come in contact with it. And if they come to you with a question about something, guess what? They've already come into contact with it. And if you say, well, don't worry about it. That's nonsense or that's, that's dumb or that's foolish. Guess what? You may drop the, the, the matter, but they may not. And if they don't get anything from you, there's more than enough information and people online who will willingly and happily give them information and explanations that you don't want them to hear. Ideas. Somebody tell me what philosophy is. Now we're moving into the world of idea. What is philosophy? What does, it, what does it deal with? We can say that. We don't need a clinical definition. What does philosophy deal with? What does it use? Yeah, that nonsense out there. Nobody wants to talk about it. If you've read your book, page 80, it says, it's foolish to think of ideas as innocuous words on a page or as heady concepts that concern only philosophers. Do you know why things are kind of crazy in America? Ideas. Largely propagated in the educational system, the university level, a lot at the university level, more so now at the high school and the elementary level. Do you know what those ideas say? Do you know where they come from? Do you know who's originating them? 
You can go back and back and back. Now, I'm not saying you got to know that the roots of critical race theory lie in Karl Marx. You don't have to know that. But when people start throwing around certain terms, you should probably be aware of what they mean, especially if you're dealing with your kid learning something in school. Right? So this idea of the practical man, the man who only deals with what is right in front of me, I don't care about the why and the how. I just deal with things as they come. The practical man just rides through life controlled by the ideas of the thinkers. We do not go through a single day of our lives without engaging with the results of somebody's idea. And it is when Christians... Stop dealing in ideas. Just talk about practicalities. I'm going to put that in air quotes. That we start floating along with the rest of society down the sinkhole. It is very important for us to recognize what's going on here. Ideas always have consequences. Always. And I don't mean necessarily consequences uh, that are immediate, right? Because a human lifespan, as they say on average, is 86 years. I have no idea. 70s, 80s, right? Like we're, we're young. We don't have time for all this stuff. We're living our life, figuring things out, going through stresses and things, and then we hit adulthood, and adulthood is this, this span of time, right? You, you get married, you have kids, you're figuring out how to raise them, and then, then like you're done with that, and then you get to retirement, right? Um, sometimes life goes by really fast. I feel like life's going by really fast at this point. With, with my two kids, it, it feels like a race. But I got to understand that my two kids are existing um, as a part of this culture, They are absorbing all kinds of information from television, right? I don't let my children, they don't touch my phone. And it's not because I'm trying to keep it safe because it's all broken if you look at it. It's because I don't want them in that habit. But interestingly, they're fascinated with it, right? They want want to watch something on the iPad. And sometimes they get to at Mimi's house but not at daddy's house. But they do watch the kids' shows, Bluey and uh, Peppa Pig and those shows on TV, right? They're being trained how to consume media. Now, my wife and I, we push for books. We have lots and lots of children's books scattered throughout our house all over the place, and that's important. But even books... They're not all good. They're not all good. If you're following the news. And so, when we look to 
There we go. Um, what is being absorbed and the information that's being transacted? We have to take a serious step back and understand what it is that's going on. Um, he flips this around. He says, on the other hand, get this, this is interesting. There are five activities that have inverse relationships with depression. Inverse, meaning they are in opposition. They promote healthy mind. Okay? This is what Jonathan Hyatt has to say. Sports and other forms of exercise. So you don't have to be a sports person, but walk, run, do push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks, whatever. Health, move around, right? Attending religious services. This is coming from a guy that's an atheist. Jonathan Haidt is an atheist. But Jonathan Haidt realizes there's a connection, and many atheists realize this, there's a connection between good mental health and attending relig religious services, being a part of a belief system. As a, as a Christian, I would argue that following Christ and being a part of a church congregation is intrinsic because God is fundamental reality. And to connect and to know him is to align yourself with that. Reading books and other print, not digital, print material. In-person social interactions where you're talking to each other. And then doing homework, kids. <laughs> it's, he, he's a professor, so I can see why he would... He's a little biased. Yes. So there is something. There is something. Now, I'm going to, we can play devil's advocate because the reality is there's some just, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this as a teacher. There's some assignments that are just nonsense. But then on the flip side of that, there is something to be proud of accomplishing something, like you said. Yes. Well, there you go. Hey, once you start finishing that homework, you're going to feel good. So get this. Get this. Uh, I think it was 2004. Excuse me, 2012. Facebook did an experiment. You hear about this? They did an experiment on its, on, uh, it was over 600,000 users. So it wasn't everybody, but they took a section of their users. This was without permission. Nobody knew what was going on. They, that the, uh, the experiment was engineered by a university. Uh, in the article I read, uh, I think it was Cornell University, so a prestigious university. And they implemented something dealing with mood manipulation. They were seeing if they could manipulate their users' moods. So, do you, have you heard about this? Uh, I heard about it, but I know that people have been 
you felt it. You felt the crazy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So get this. They did. Facebook did this, and this was an actual experiment, unknowing to six hundred thousand people, over six hundred thousand, um, for two weeks. And it was they. Yeah. It, it. They. They did not do any. It breaks the ethic rules to pieces. In fact, the university Cornell said their ethics board. They, they didn't worry about it because they were not conducting the, the, uh, the experiment, even though they engineered it for Facebook to do this, right? And so, so what you had was you had uh, some people's feed. They intentionally fed sad, depressing things, right? They only allowed, and remember, they control the feed. You, you don't control the feed. They control the feed. So they only allowed negative things on some people's news feed. And on some people's, they had the nice things, cute babies, puppies, things like that. And they found that there was a significant difference in the mood of the people who interacted with on Facebook whenever they had sad things, like you were talking about, versus whenever they had like happy things. Obviously, people were upset when they found out about it, right? And so what has happened is that Facebook, there was a revolution and Facebook went out of business and they are currently no longer operating. Are they? <laughs> no, everybody still uses Facebook. What? You secretly experimented on us. Let's see what's on Facebook. The government's tracking me and looking at everything I say underneath the Patriot Act. Uh, <laughs> okay. Can I have my info? Uh, right? Like, <laughs> when we realize that this is so much more, it's been demonstrated now to be a social engineering device. And when I say social engineering, that means uh, central powers can not control you outright, but bump you certain ways. Yes, it is a safe bet. Facebook is not free. You pay for Facebook. The, the, uh, the currency is you. Read their terms and service if you can stand the massively long, right, book. Uh, and cut through the legalese because it's difficult. It's a challenge. Um. You were talking about dopamine. Anybody ever hear of the dopamine fast? Anybody know what dopamine is? What is dopamine? What does it do? Makes you. Okay. It, it, it is, I've heard it described as it's the anticipation chemical. It makes you, it, it makes you excited about something. Kind of like a, like a kid, like they're, they're on a dopamine high when it's about to be Christmas, but then they come off that high after they open the presents, right? So the idea of the dopamine uh, it, with, and we talked about the addition of the like button, right? 
People, they call it like chasing likes or something like that. So you post a picture of yourself, right, flexing in the mirror, or you post a picture of yourself in your brand new car, and then you wait for what? All the likes. And the positive comments, hopefully. Yes. I don't know what that means, but yes. <laughs> so, okay. So, this is a manipulation of the dopamine. And guys, it is not an accident. Like, I, I, I want you to realize that, that social media is engineered by very intelligent people with the purpose, time to give my son his eardrops, with the purpose of getting you to stay on there, to continue interacting, to keep you entertained or sufficiently outraged to continue to engage, right? Guys, we're all suckers. That's like, that's the big, that's the, that's the ticket. Not everybody is, but I'm, I'm going to be the first to admit, I'm under the sway of this thing. Now, I don't have social media. Uh, I got Instagram, right, because I'm trying to, to design shoes, but I'm not on there. But it's like, like when I post a picture of some artwork I've done, what am I doing? Anybody realize it's any good? Is it any good? I'm looking for affirmation from this thing, from strangers I don't even know. The dopamine is that anticipation. And what happens is if it is sustained for long periods of time, you need your brain will become addicted to that hit and it will need more and more. It's not enough to just stay service level you need more and more and more and more and more the ante is always upped and so enter the idea of the dopamine fast where you you do not do the things whenever your brain is like all right let me get my phone right you hear that bloop, bloop, or whatever the sound is on your phone i don't know and you're like oh was that pretty good I don't know. Now I'm just making weird noises. Um, so you, you, you get your phone. When that sound goes off, your brain, your brain is now in dopamine mode, and it's looking for satisfaction. Okay, yes. Dan liked it. It's great. I am, I am happy. I can live happily. Right? No, but it's, I, I'm needing more. So the idea is to break that cycle for a sustained period of time. So Turn off that signifier, shut down your phone, and leave it, and go out in the woods or something. Or go for a walk. There's a big dopamine reward when you deny yourself something. Yes. And so, the reality is you don't really just turn off dopamine. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a not a conscious ability. But you, you do some rewiring by changing Habitual behaviors by changing cravings, right? And then you want the dopamine to make you drive you to something that is good and positive and healthy. That will build relationship. That will build better mental and physical health. Get off the phone is essentially what they say. That's, that's kind of what they say. 
Come on, buddy. It's going to do it manually. Was that rewarding? <laughs> no, it was very not rewarding based on the fact that this wasn't working. <laughs> so, a TikTok world. Um, the castle mentality is no longer uh, viable in our day and age, right? Uh, because, ready, right, the man and a woman, king and queen of their domain, and their children are within that domain, and they're protected by the walls of your parentage. Now, it's never been that simple and straightforward and perfect, right? However, we can argue that your communal interactions were a lot smaller even back in 1995 than they are in 2022. Right? Because, again, these things exist within our walls. Therefore, whatever mom and dad say is real and true and worthy of your praise is no longer the only option on the table. Because Janet, Billy, Sue, Pat, Frankie, they all have other things to say. And they can just say, hey, Here's my idea about what your parents said. I think your parents are dumb. Right? So, we are no longer in control of our, air quotes, domain. Or we are even less in control than we think. Kids today have never known a quiet world. Do you, do you remember when, like, maybe it was just me, but just going outside, laying in the grass and looking up at the clouds and not hearing music. You just hear nature. Or walking around outside, you know, doing imagination games, you know, building rockets and digging holes to China and all that kind of stuff that you did. There were there was we didn't there was no constant music. And now we have wireless earbuds. Like I'm guilty of this. I can like just pop in my earbuds and listen to some podcast or some music all the time. I am now less likely to not have noise than I am to have noise. Some days I have to just I consciously have to be like, okay, hold on. Let me stop. Just listen to the birds. Never without internet, multiple devices, streaming, cloud, everything. Um, the information age is defined by the immaterial. Now, when I say immaterial, I'm not meaning supernatural. I'm meaning that which is not necessarily physical. So has anybody ever gotten a new phone and did not have your stuff on it, right? It's before you moved it over. What is that phone good for? Not much, right? It's just this massive paperweight, this $500 paperweight. But then you take it to the store, they cook it together, and it's bloop, 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 bloop. And now it's my life. It's everything to me, right? So this idea that uh, Apple makes phones is false. Apple makes worlds for people to build in and live in. 
the uh, digital age is something that is, you know, music is streamed. Do you own any hard copies of your favorite music? Rooks of Rock. <laughs> well, but any of your own. Have you ever been to an album store, like a record store, a CD store? Okay. Decoration? What? <laughs> oh, but see, that's interesting to me. Like, right, when you want to listen to music, you aren't going to go to the wall and be like, okay, Alanis. Yeah. <sighs> Get the record player out, right? No, like we don't do that. None of us really do, except for except for Dan. He whips out the old eight track, puts it in, right? CDs or the the big laser disc, little giant. So, the way things are are communicated and transported is a lot different. The information age has changed the game. News, entertainment, education, social interaction, lifestyle. Guys, 24-7. What was the old news cycle? You had morning news. Five o'clock news. What's the news cycle now? Literally ongoing, nonstop. Update today. Right? X, Y, Z. This happens. That happens. And they just, they follow the same story, even though nothing's happened. And, and added to it, I saw uh, CNN to the boss, and he's like, yeah, stop saying breaking news so much. He's like, no, don't saying breaking then news. Then it's just news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just becomes news when everything's breaking. Like, and it's not even real news anymore, right? Because it's just a repetition or dragging out, Right. Information is ideas. Sharing ideas influence what we believe and how we live. They have consequences. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> Wait, what's funny is, I, and I've heard, and I can't, I can't personally vouch for this, but you know, TikTok is owned, admittedly, owned by uh, China, a Chinese company. And by law in China, um, the government owns it because uh, the government has to have uh, several positions on the board of that company, right? And so under their law, they have the right to acquisition whatever information at will if you want to operate. And that goes for American companies. So any American company that has any dealings in China actually has to have this, this situation. Yeah, which is interesting. So, so the interesting thing is um, TikTok in China seems to be, um, from my understanding, significantly different than TikTok in the United States of America. It's educational. It's educational. It promotes certain virtuous uh, behaviors. It promotes um, patriotism for the Chinese regime. It, prom pr it promotes things that we would, I guess, perceive as beneficial. Whereas TikTok in the United States of America, uh, weird dances, lots of inappropriate things, uh, like a, a, a right a lewdness, excessiveness, consumption, a hatred for wisdom. 
great. It, like, it's the opposite. Um, there are consequences to this. Long and, and, and enduring consequences to the effects that has on our kids. Digital natives, and we just talked about this, are born with device in hand. It is important for us to help them find balance. And what that means is to, at times, deny them the <laughs> job, man. Deny them that which they want, right? So my son loves ice cream. So guess what? From henceforward, he will eat ice cream. No more of that zucchini, kiwi, watermelon blend in the bag. <laughs> He's just going to get ice cream. We bought a new cooler to keep it frozen. He's going to have it constantly. What's going to happen to my kid? Yeah, he's going to have <laughs> like some, no teeth. He's got no teeth. He's not going to have any more. He's going <laughs> to have lots of problems. It is important for parents to, re to be the regulators of their children. Not, as it seems to be the case in many situations, the enablers. That's why you see that there was a billboard on the way to Nashville. I, I don't drive to Nashville hardly ever, but there was one, and this was, I saw it like a few years ago. And it said, be parents, not friends. Right? And I'm friends with my parents now, but I'm 40. When I was a kid, I was not friends with my parents. I loved them. But I did not always like them, as my mom would often say about me and my brothers. <laughs> I love you, dear, but I don't like you right now, right? <laughs> I heard that from my mom a few times. And it's correct, because I am not always likable, even to this day. Um, but it is imp it's important for a parent to be, to be the regulator. Train a child up in the way they should go, says Proverbs. And training does not mean allowing everything that they desire. So, Psalm 46. Anybody want to read Psalm 46 for me? Breathe. <laughs> Psalm 46 says, breathe. I'm going to use my phone for a positive thing. I know, right? So, here's the thing. Yes, please, sir.
Guys, things aren't as bad as sometimes feels like it is. So <clears throat> we've been talking a lot about kids and TikTok. Uh, I don't know. Like, are, are the adults on TikTok? Not many. Some. Okay. I've never, I, I don't know what it looks like because I never really looked at it. But if you're an adult and you are proficient with the technology, then you are aware of the constant news, the constant market updates, the constant videos and messages and posts concerning the ends of the world. And the Lord is God. Though the nations rage and fume and make a fuss, the Lord is God. We have to remember the Lord is God. We might look at gas prices and say, Things are worse than they've ever been because it cost me $100 to get from here to, to cross town. Things aren't worse as they've ever been. And the Lord is God. The thing that I have to continually remind myself is that the battle is one in Christ, and that victory is already declared. It's already declared, okay? Like, the resurrection of Christ is his victory over death. And I'm looking forward to the second coming, and only in that... Will everything be smoothed out and made right? It is not for me to avenge. It is not for me even to change the world. I do not believe in the statement, one day you will change the world. No, Jesus changed the world. One day you may, you may take part in his work. I've heard more kids told they'll change the world. People can disagree with me, but I think that's a little bit of an ego trip. Right? Um, and I think maybe the result of why kids nowadays reject the wisdom of those who have experience and age is because all their life they've been told, well, you'll change the world. You will, not the people before. They messed it up. Look how terrible it is with your iPhone and your iPad and your cars and your big houses and all of the wealth and the amazing things that you have thanks to the men and women who built this country. No, 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 you'll change the world. No. You will add, hopefully you will add value to what's out there. You will take part in the redemptive work of Christ, but it is and is alone Jesus who changed the world. Remember last week we talked about how Christ is the centerpiece of history. He stands at the center of history. He is what all of the past 
since the fall was looking forward to, and he is what all of us now are looking back as reference to what we have hope in. He is the center. And so, when you feel the anxiety and the tension and the stress rising because you are overdosed with TikTok and Snapchat or YouTube or news feeds or 24-7 news and you know, stock cycles. <sighs> yeah, don't look at your retirement right now. Better yet, just don't retire. Even better, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That verse is everything, but it does not say that that path will not lead through the valley of the shadow of death, like Psalms 23 says. But Psalm 23 also says, but I will fear no evil because you are with me. Right? So God is promising us he will guide us. He's done it. So breathe. I'm not telling you to be careless or thoughtless or lazy or just stop working. I'm not telling you to do any of that. We are made, we are made to work. We are. Do add some redemptive I want to say redemptive sauce. Sprinkle some redemptivity. I made that word up, I think. Into your labors. That people will glorify God when they see you do your work, whatever it is. Arthur Schulsinger. He's like a, his, a famous historian. His father, the senior, uh, was a famous historian, sociologist. He says science and technology revolutionize our lives. But it is memory, tradition, and myth that frame our responses. Why did the Greeks and the, the Romans and the, uh, you name it, why do all nations, all nations have myths? Why do we have Paul Bunyan, John Henry, and Johnny Appleseed? It, Aqueducts. <laughs> it is fun, but there's something deeply embedded in them. What are they? Lessons. And even more than just lessons, identity. Right? How we explain ourselves. Right? Uh, this idea that I am simply engaging with a book, with a table, with objects, it's not that simple. These things, memory, tradition, and myth, where do they come from in a society? How are they passed? Socially, and from whom? Is that the way I probably should be? Coming from which part of the generation? Yes. Yes, it is fundamental to maintaining. I'm going to speak with, for us as believers. It is fundamental 
for Christians to maintain their memories and traditions, to frame their interactions with the world for their kids by the passing of that information from this person, this older person, to this younger person. The Bible even explicitly says it. You older men, train the younger men. You older women, train the younger women. Guys, that is our answer. We sit here and we talk about, I don't know what to do. Well, here's a question. How many younger men and women, if you are, let's say you're over the age of 30, includes myself, how many, how many are you talking to? One is enough. Is it one, two, three, zero? It is very important, and it is enough if it's your own children, because that's what you're supposed to do. But if your children are moved and gone, who is it? That task is never done. It's never over. And it doesn't just go that way, right? If you are in your 60s, how many 40-year-olds are you talking to? If you're in your 80s, how many 50-year-olds are you talking to? Etc., etc., right? It's the task of maintaining traditions. And guys, this, this church at Milton has a history. I don't know it. But I believe it to be beautiful. Right? Filled with men and women who worked and built and endured. This community in Milton has a history. And I've gotten some really great and funny stories from you guys. It's all around us, and that is the unifying identifier. It is this transmission of these things. Unfortunately, technology has stepped in. Let me rephrase this. Unfortunately, we have used technology as a means to educate without any kind of tossing out that, that personal social aspect. Yeah. Oh, man. Talk about you can mess things up just through text messaging or emails. I know when I have to write a hard email... I type it, I read it, I edit it, I read it out loud, I try to imagine all the possible ways it can be taken wrong, right? It, like, text can be taken wrong pretty easily, especially if somebody is already coming to the table with some preconceived notions or attitudes, right? Coming to the end here, Job 12, 12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Um, when Mike and I were discussing the, uh, this section, we, 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 we spent some time contemplating this idea of wisdom. Wisdom is a tricky, tricky thing. Because it's not just knowing stuff. You can be an intellectual fool 
right? And you can be a wise individual who is uneducated. Um, it's gained slowly over time, and it is fundamental to the raising up of children and young people. And so uh, this is a lovely chart, kind of breaking down raw data to information. So data is equal to raw natural aspects of existence, and it doesn't necessarily have to be observed. It's like uh, there's a tree. That is data. There's a tree. Trees are made up of cells. Right? They do certain things. It's just stuff. It's basic stuff that we can discover and add to our information. Now, our information is observation and interpretation of raw data. Now, it can be said that our data can be wrong. Right? We can, we can see something incorrectly. That's okay. But typically, when we see something incorrectly, it's our information we're pulling from data. So maybe we can say the data is just there floating around, and then our information, our observation of something can be incorrect. Then we have knowledge. Knowledge is the development of patterns, systems, and processes. Um, knowledge is justified belief, right? So you know something. I know that the earth goes around the sun. Is that easily observable? Not really. If you just look outside, what does it look like? Drop your modern bias. If I can stand in one place all day long, does it look like I'm going around the sun? No! So you can't have bad knowledge from misinterpreted information or misinterpreted data. That's possible, right? Um, insight. Conclusions drawn from knowledge, your matrix of knowledge, all the things you know. So if you look here, knowledge is putting things together. So, oh, I see the sun. The sun is this thing, and, and this thing goes up and down. But since we've, we've gotten a better view of the world, right, um, we see that it's actually the world's going around the sun, right? So our knowledge is increased. Now, insight is when you take this and this, and you're, you're able to make, to, to link things that might seem not united, disconnected. So I'm a fan of Thomas Sowell because he is, he, he thinks like this. This guy, he, he connects dots. He's an economist, um, and he writes a lot of history, and he, he explains a lot of economic changes and shifts through the lens of history. It's amazing to read his stuff. And then you have wisdom. It is the purposeful use of insight within a worldview over time. It's the purposeful use of what you understand. So it takes these things that you see, oh yeah, they're related, and it connects them. And then wisdom is not sufficient in just thinking. It is an action. A wise person acts. So you have this movement. 
And unfortunately, in the information age, this is the most important thing in, 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 within this, the context of the information age. It's an overload of information. And we lack knowledge, insight, and wisdom a lot of times. Because knowledge, insight, and wisdom is the part where you're taking teachers, mentors, ministers, parents, grandparents, and you're helping kids gain knowledge and then gain insight and then, then wisdom. That's the social part. The phone is just dumping data and information out there. That's all it's doing. So we have this cycle. The cycle is, wisdom is not a destination, okay? It is a state of existence. It is interesting that we call Solomon the wisest man that ever lived. How would you describe Solomon in his relationship to wisdom? Did you say he had pretty hair? Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought of Solomon waving his hair back and forth. He was like long a lot. Probably did, and a good beard. Get this. Solomon starts his reign asking for what? Yes. And God said, I will give you wisdom. And since you sought wisdom over all these other things, I'll give you wealth and prosperity, right? You know how his reign ended. Did it end in wisdom? I mean, it, you, can't, you can't say that the man was wi the wisest man in the world at that point. He literally destroyed the unified kingdom of Israel. Literally. He led, guys, he led Israel into idol worship. Because he married so many women. His building projects, you find this out from his, when his son takes over, like, was bankrupting the people. Solomon destroyed Israel's golden age. He did not bring them into, it wasn't Rehoboam. Rehoboam messed up pretty bad. He was just a fool. But who's, whose example was he following? dads and then you you have civil war and then you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and all of the problems thereafter and so it is not a destination you don't just become wise and you sit there in wisdom glowing like a firefly proverbs 9 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I like that. What is the fear of the Lord? <laughs> Interesting. The beginning. Implying that there is a journey that is taken continually. Continually in this existence of wisdom. Proverbs 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. So this is interesting. 
Um, you realize you need wisdom. That is wisdom. A realization of a lack is in and of itself a th wise thought. And then you seek it. That's a wise action, correct? And then when you gain it, you've become more wise than you were when you realized you needed it. But then in gaining wisdom, what do you realize? Ah, imagine that. And you, we exist. If we are wise, we exist in this cycle. From, from birth to the very end, we are pursuing wisdom. Whenever you say, I am wisdom, you've abandoned the path of wisdom. You've abandoned it. Yes, I've never met a wise person that says they're wise. The observation is made of them. You say, that person is really wise. Oh, you need help with something? You need, you need, you need guidance? I know somebody who has great wisdom. And you talk to them, and they just tell you. They aren't like, oh, welcome to, I'm glad you ascended the 5,000 steps to the great mountain of my, you know, now you prepare to receive my wisdom. No, no. You are disconnected if you are living like that. I don't buy the guru. We are all human beings. And the only, the only possessor of final wisdom is God alone. So, wisdom is selflessness. It's humility. The need, the realization that I need it. Continually. I need to grow continually. And it shares. A wise person understands that I am not an enclosed circle. I need to share what I have gained so that wisdom will be spread through my community. Foolishness is selfish. It's pride. It says, I am wisdom. I have it. I've gained it. It's mine. I will use it to control people. Acknowledge, acknowledging lack of wisdom is itself wisdom. And learning how to think is wise. So we are done. Are there any questions about this? There's a lot of stuff that got tossed out today, I know. And we go pretty quick, and we cram a whole lot in here. Uh, I encourage you. I cannot overstate the importance of reading this book, especially if you find yourself in the situation of working with people who are younger, grandchildren, children, students, like youth ministry, like whatever it is. This is, this is very important. Because it, 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 I think, very clearly um, points out the, our, what our situation is and discusses how we engage, how we deal with uh, what is going on in the world. So I'm going to leave you with this question for next time. We're going to go into the third person again aware of our own actions. We're not just going to act, 
we're going to say, hmm, I am doing this. Why am I doing this? Right? We're going to try to catch ourselves. What are your digital habits? So I told you one of mine. And I'm not saying that all your digital habits are necessarily bad. Maybe there's some bad digital habits. Um, like looking at your phone during dinner <laughs> with your spouse or your kids, right? That's not a good one. Um, what are your digital habits? You wake up in the morning and, like me, and check your emails and the weather and all that stuff. Think about what they are, become aware of what they are, and ask yourself a fundamental question. Is this, am I using my device, or is my device and the creators of the software and the apps I have, are they using me? Who's in control here? Ask yourself that question. And that is all we have for this evening. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's one right there for you. <laughs>